Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Fountain Church Podcast. Our prayer is that God speaks to you in a real and powerful way. So go ahead, grab your Bible, grab a notepad and your coffee, and let's dive in. I want to speak to you today around this idea of where we're going in this next year. And uh, our serve team heard a modified version or a different or a little bit more of an extended version of this. And, uh, but I think it's important that our whole church kind of understands, God, what are we doing and where are you leading us in this season? And so I want to talk to you today a little bit around taking territory, taking territory. Would you pray with me, Heavenly Father, we thank you. God, thank you so much for your grace on our life, on our church. God, give us ears to hear this morning, eyes to see. Lord, I pray that you'd help me to communicate a lot in a short amount of time. But more importantly, God, I pray that we catch, catch your heart in this. And uh, Lord, we're not looking for something uh, uh, super attractive or, I don't know, gimmicky, Lord. We're, we're, we need to hear from heaven. We need something real today. And so Lord, speak to us. And may we not be the same. Challenge us. In Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. 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 Can we give the Lord a big hand? Well, listen, I, I am so excited. Um, last year was a long year. I feel like the year kind of extended a little bit on multiple levels. And I don't even know if we felt all the ramifications of what took place last year on, on multiple levels. But, but God did give us a vision. Thanks, Jay. God did give us a vision this, uh, this last year to, to make space. You guys remember that? God had called us to make space. And, and we really didn't see all that God was doing. But how many of you guys know God sees the whole picture? And so for us, we just thought, man, we are going to make space. We're going to make space in our hearts and, and we're going to make space in our facility for more people. And we're going to expand our kids area. And so that, that's what we did. Uh, we were headed into the first of the year. We had a remodel going and we knocked out the last classroom that was in this facility, uh, which is the back corner that you guys see. There's obviously no classroom there. So we made space and, and then we uh, were able to get a hold of this suite upstairs. So we renovated it and remodeled it uh, to be our new kids space. And so just so many great things that God was doing in the beginning of the year. And we just had no idea how much that space was really going to be needed. And we didn't know that that space was going to be needed, not just simply because we wanted to get more people in, but because we could only hold a certain amount of people. Uh, and we had a little bit more space and a little bit more room uh, when all of the restrictions and different things were applied over this last year. But, but it, it extended way beyond that. Little did I know as we entered into March, my living room was going to be a big space for our church. And uh, this is the very first time that we went live. And we went live on Facebook. You can see we're doing communion. And it was so funny because I was stepping on Jackie's cord. And, and she's like, you're stepping on my cord. And we were already live. It was, it was the best. So she kind of yelled at me on live. And, uh, and so, so this was my living room. And, and we were getting ready to switch gears. Now, I think that one of the beautiful things was that Pastor Lauren, uh, probably about a month before, a month before all of this went down, she said, hey, P-Matt, what if this whole thing shuts down? 
I was like, you are tripping. It is not going to shut down. And, and so, uh, but I said, you know, we kind of leaned in. And so we were already creating our online platform. And so by the time that actually all the restrictions came into play for COVID, we were already ready. We were prepared, uh, thanks to Lauren's prophetic edge. And, uh, and so it was awesome. And then we, 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 we started going live a lot. This is the first time I'm addressing everybody. It's the middle of, you know, this pandemic. Everything is is a little bit haywire. Nobody really knows what's happening. And, uh, and I have hell in the background with a candle underneath it, you know, trying to bring comfort. And people are like, it's a sign. It's bad. And so, so Mylena, I don't know if Mylena, if you're in the house today, but, but Mylena let me know that this was a rookie move. And, uh, and she put E, no, no, like, don't do that again. So we, we were trying to figure it out. Never did that again. I never, I don't even think I did that spot ever again. But we just continue to make space. Our kids' ministry, shout out to our kids' ministry. Continue to make space. So in creative ways, going online and allowing the, the students to, to dialogue, to gather, just having some uh, Zoom gatherings where they could talk and just hang out and be crazy and all that good stuff. And, and also was still pastoring them. I mean, uh, leaders were showing up. Sometimes only a few kids would show up, but they were faithful, even if it was one kid. They showed up. And then we continued to make space. Our worship center uh, that you're sitting in became a studio. And, and it wasn't only a studio for our church, but we created space for two other churches, two other church plants that became homeless during the pandemic. And so they pretty much used our facility to record all of their stuff, all their sermons week in and week out. And I'm happy to say that both of those churches are still doing extremely well, uh, which is awesome. And, and resilience was kind of the word that God had put in our hearts as we started navigating through this. We just, our team and our staff just worked so hard. We said, man, whatever it takes, whatever it takes. And that's just what we continue to do. How many of you guys know our small groups? Can we clap it up for our small groups? All of our small group leaders. I tell you what, this was so, this was so special because our small groups is really was the glue. And our small group leaders agreed not to take a break. They didn't take a break for the entire year. Normally we have semester breaks. They did not break for the entire year just to make sure that everybody was staying connected. And if you didn't jump onto a small group, they were available, so you should have. Um, but, but they just remained. And so we saw God just do some incredible things. And then... Uh, obviously, uh, the restrictions applied and we weren't able to meet inside. And so resilience was our word. So we made space outside and we wanted to do it well. We didn't want to just kind of half step it. And so, man, our team worked extremely hard getting here at five in the morning just to make sure that things were set up. And then we did service in a thunderstorm, probably the worst thunderstorm that I've ever experienced in this city. And there was only about 50 people showed up, but we're playing keys, lightning, striking, thunders, cry. We're just like, it's the end of the world, right? So good. And, and our team just continued to be resilient. We made connection calls. We created a Facebook page where people were meeting each other's needs. They were finding out needs that, that, that people had, and everybody was pitching in to, to help out. We, we were making connection calls, just making sure that everybody was, was staying connected. If you didn't receive a call from us, we tried, um, and we were just going down the list, and our team was breaking out, calling everybody that we could. We were able to do graduations when there was no graduations. We had drive-through graduations, drive-through Mother's Day, drive-through Father's Day. Um, we even made more space for our missions. We sponsored a, a care point in Mexico with Children's Cup and still expanded our reach 
uh, to the ends of the earth uh, during this pandemic. And it may have seemed like a small thing, but it's made a really huge impact there. And we're planning a mission trip there for next June. So just kind of stand by for that. We already got our dates locked in. I just actually confirmed it yesterday, uh, two days ago. And uh, so we'll be talking to you guys about that. But, but Jesus was still on the move. The Great Commission and the Great Commandment were still going forward. People were moving closer to God and closer to others, awakening to the beautiful reality of Jesus in spite of everything that was going on. But it was also a tough year. A lot of wins. God did a lot of things. A lot of things. It was beautiful. But it was also brutal. And I, I, never, I, I won't forget, I, I, I've, I can vividly remember parents coming to talk to myself and Jackie so concerned about their kids' eternity. Like there was just a greater weight of an importance of, we're not sure where all this is going. And there was just a deeper sense and reality of eternal things. And so there, there, was, there was a sense in the air. Some of my friends who weren't saved, they would just call me like, hey, is it the end of the world, bro? Like what's going on here? Like what's happening? Because they could just sense that something is shifting and changing. So it was beautiful, but it was also brutal. We experienced a lot of disconnection. Like it was, it's great to have Zoom, but there's nothing like life on life. Kids, kids were out of school, which, oh man, on, on so many levels, it, it was just, it impacted them on so many different levels. Uh, mental health uh, started to decline like crazy from anxiety and depression. Suicide rate went through the roof. Our county wouldn't even release how many suicides. I don't know if they've released it now, but they wouldn't release it before. So I just know that's a lot. Substance abuse on the increase. So many other things on top of just ramifications on top of everything else was happening. And how many of you guys know when you're going through all that and you're disconnected, it's, it's tough. It's hard. And then on top of that, how about all the division? Some of us are still feeling disconnected and we're still experiencing the divide of politics, the racial unrest, global division. COVID was a huge division of itself. Mask or no mask. And, and unfortunately, we even saw this creep into the church and fracture so many aspects. I'm grateful that our church, and I can say this with all integrity, our church handled everything with such maturity. And, and our church did not take a major hit in regards to any of that stuff. And because it was like, we're going to bear up with one another. We're all trying to process stuff. Everybody's trying to figure it out. And so I'm so proud of our church. But that is not every story. And I, I'm, it's just, it, it, it was tough. And there's still a lot of divides happening in our nation, in our world. And then there was despondence. Where people were just low in spirits from the loss of hope. Like, you know how like a trial just continues and just, it's just lat week after month after month, six months, eight months. And there was just kind of this, this sense of discouragement because so much time had gone past and people are still, they're trying to hang in there and financially it's tough and job wise, or maybe they lost a loved one during this time or their loved one was in the hospital and they couldn't, you know, visit them. I mean, there's just so many aspects of people just feeling kind of despondent, just a little bit weary, just a little bit tired, a little bit disconnected. And I think all of that led to a desperation, it led to a desperation. Some of it was like, get my kids back to school. Um, Cause it wasn't even about them being out. It was just like, I can't take it anymore. Uh, and some people were just like, I just, I just need resolve. Like, I'm just tired of being in this limbo. Like what is happening? What are we doing? And everybody 
you know, was trying to be understanding. And then, you know, people are moving like crazy out of state. A lot of it's just they don't like the politics or they just whatever. And some people were called during this time. So everybody that moved, I, I don't it, it wasn't like, hey, I'm just getting out of California. But some people were actually called to go. But, but there was a lot of people that were just like, I'm getting out of California and we're, we're moving. Churches are closing. I know a lot of pastors that they're not pastoring anymore. Their, their churches aren't open anymore. And they move as well. And then I know pastors that during the pandemic rose to the occasion and maybe they passed their church off and they took another position somewhere. I mean, so God was still moving a lot of pieces around. So I'm very careful not to make blanket statements uh, because people were moving around and that was just the reality. There was a lot of stirring. Um, uh, church buildings being sold. Pastors' mental health on the decline. Um, and so there was just so many things happening. It reminded me of David at Ziklag when his, him and his men come back and the Amalekites raided everything, took their wives, their kids, all their stuff. And, and, um, and, and the men were discouraged. They, they cried out. It was just this, this, this anguish of the loss. And then they start to get upset at David. And David, as a leader, what, what does he do? It says that he encouraged himself in the Lord. The thing that I love about David is even in a very tense time, David was a good reactor or a good responder over a reactor. David always inquired of the Lord. Even, I mean, look, look at this, look at this. He says this, Lord, should we pursue these raiders? Let's just stop there. What do you mean should we pursue them? They just took everything. Yet he's still asking the Lord, still submitted to the Lord. Lord, what do you want us to do? How do you want us to handle this? What if we would have took that approach this whole last year? Because there were so many reactions and it was hard to respond because everybody's feeling pressed. And he says, and look what the Lord says. Or David says, can we catch them? And the Lord says, go after them. You will catch them and you will certainly rescue your families. Come on. That's, that's an encouraging word from the Lord. And then, then it goes on, skips down in uh, 1 Samuel 30 verse 19. So David recovered everything. Somebody say Recovered. Everything that had been taken, including his two wives. I was like, two wives. Uh, nothing was missing. It was different in the Old Testament. Uh, nothing was missing from the smallest thing to the greatest treasure. None of the sons or daughters, no property of any kind. David brought everything home. He brought everything home. I believe that this next year uh, is not going to be marked by making space. It's going to be marked uh, by taking territory that God has called us this year to take territory. And kind of how, how this, this started to stir up in our hearts was we were at a conference and God had just been speaking to us about territory, territory. So when the, the lady that was preaching, um, uh, Pastor Bianca was preaching and she, she, she just threw out, she said, hey, why don't you just ask the Lord, whatever's in your heart, just begin to ask the Lord. And, and Pastor Jackie, my wife, she began to ask the Lord for physical and spiritual territory this year. And she just began to ask the Lord, give us more territory, Lord. Give us more territory. And so we went out to lunch, and, and as we're dialoguing over lunch, she was sharing what she was asking the Lord, and, and then Pastor Lauren was like, no way. She said, during our worship time, God gave me a picture of an angel lifting up you and Matt, and you just kept asking for more territory. And the angel would lift you up a little bit more, asking for more territory, and just, just we just kept asking, kept asking. It wasn't like the Lord was just giving it to us. No, we were contending for it. And, and it, it was kind of like that faith to faith and from glory to glory. And as far as the eye could see, she said, it just, we, we just kept taking territory, more and more territory. And, and the passage in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 39 came to me that, that we are not of those that shrink back, 
but, but, but we are those uh, that, uh, who's, who have faith and perseverance. Uh, we're not ones that, that pull away, but we are ones that have authentic faith and persevere that our souls might be saved, that others might be saved, and that we might live in, in a healthy place in the midst of the tension. And so we just felt like taking territory, like, God, we're going we're gonna to take territory. But what does that mean? What does that look like? And, and, and this just kept coming up. So uh, by the grace of God, we, we ended up purchasing a house in Mountain House in last July. It's a beautiful story, a miracle, how God helped us there. Um, but little did we know that it was going to be a temporary provision. We thought we were going to be there maybe two or three years, get some equity and come back here. But the market exploded. And so we were literally there two months, sold our house, and we're already back. And, uh, and so incredible God story there. But as we were coming back, we, the market is really crazy to purchase. And so even though we made some equity, we're just kind of relaxing. We're renting and just till everything kind of settles down a little bit. And then maybe the Lord will open up a door for us. Um, but, but it was a little bit hard for us to be honest and God was doing something deep on the inside of us. Um, it was, it wasn't just the house. I felt like the house was, was manna. It was a temporary provision. Um, just like Israel had manna in the wilderness, there was a temporary provision. Um, but we also felt, I also felt like I was in a little bit of a wilderness and God was stretching my faith. You know, uh, in the old Testament, when Abraham and Isaac, both the father Abraham and his son Isaac, they both responded the same way that when there was a famine in the land, the temptation was to go to Egypt. And I felt like, and hear me when I say this, we have a dear family in Tracy, Mountain House, all that. We love the valley. Uh, but but I, feel, I feel like for me, it was my Egypt because I would always say, God, you can't do it here. It's too expensive. It's too this, it's too that. And, and I felt like God was really stretching and increasing our faith because I never saw what was going to happen with our house. I didn't know what was going to happen with the market. I never saw any of that, but obviously the Lord did. And, and so, so I felt like God was really saying, listen, if I've called you somewhere, like I got you, you know, he didn't call Abraham to this land for him to go down to Egypt. Right. And so the Valley's not Egypt. I love the Valley. Just let me make that very clear. If you're in Tracy Mountain House, we love you. Manteca, Lathrop, Stockton, uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, so, so, so I just felt like God was increasing our faith. God wanted us to take some new territory there. And so we had to, to move and we were, we were looking to rent and we didn't know that the rental market, because we had such a sweet deal in our last house, we didn't know how crazy it was, how expensive it was. And we also didn't realize that it was just like the housing market where it was impossible to find anything. So we went on Zillow and did what anybody's just trying to apply and apply and apply. One lady, she said, yes. We, we want you guys in our house. They got my application. Jackie's wouldn't go through. I tried three times. And for whatever, all the information was accurate. It just never went through. And what happened? It locked us out for 24 hours and they gave the house to somebody else. So we just like, okay, God, you're closing the door. And then we just door after door after door. We just couldn't find a spot. Finally, we found this little, uh, the, the, a small little condo. And, and we were just going to take it because, man, that's, we just need to get in somewhere, right? And I talked to my brother. And my brother was like, man, I, I don't think that's a good move for you guys. Like, you're not thinking big enough. You guys host way too much. You got young adults at your house every week. You, like, you need, you need to keep applying. And so it resonated with me. I'm like, yeah, you're probably right. So we did. And so there was this one house that we saw in the very beginning, and we applied for it, or at least we thought we did, but we never really applied. But it was already about four weeks later. There's about 25 applications once these things go on the market, in the first hour. 
And so I'm like, man, this thing is gone. But when we saw this one, the reason why we were drawn toward it is because in the description of the home, it just said territory. And so but we weren't trying to be over-spiritual, right? We're just like, oh, okay, maybe, you know. And so long story short, I end up applying. Uh, our kids go to the same school. Uh, we show up, and there's Psalm 105 over the doorpost. And, and we were just like, man, but, but we, we didn't want to pull the God card. So we're like, hey, listen, if, if we're... If, if you really feel like this is what the Lord wants you to do, we're down for it. If not, God will provide somewhere else. But we were one of four candidates. He said very graciously, you guys weren't the best candidate, but God spoke to me. And God spoke to me out of Galatians that we're to do good to everyone, especially to those in the household of God. And he said, Pastor Matt, I believe that in God's divine providence, he's moved my job from Livermore to Anaheim so that you can occupy my home. And so I was crying, and we're just, we just know that we're in the perfect will of God. But it was just this idea of territory. Like, we're taking territory. we got to think a little bit larger. we got to think a little bit bigger. Um, John chapter 5, verse 19, Jesus explained. He said, I tell you the truth. The Son of Man can do nothing by himself. He only does what he sees the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, the Son does. And this is our heart's cry for our lives and for our church and for our home. Like, this is our cry. We don't want to do anything unless we see the Father doing it. Are you tracking with me? And this word see, it's the word blepo, which means uh, to see with uh, a spiritual perception, meaning to carry what is seen into the unseen immaterial realm so that a person can take the needed action to be aware, to be alert, to be alert and to respond appropriately. Like we need to see with a God lens, a gospel Christ-centered lens, because God sees beyond the moment. God sees what, what, what we cannot see. Reminds me of Joshua, Joshua chapter 5, one of my favorite stories. Joshua is leading the people of Israel to, to take Jericho, the most fortified city in the land. A, a military nightmare, an impossibility. Not only was it impossible just because of the walls, but they locked down the city in fear of the Israelites. So it was just locked up. And so, so he's looking like, how are we going to do this? And this man jumps out, the commander of the army of the Lord. Many scholars believe this was a pre-incarnate Christ. Jumps out and Joshua draws his sword and he says, are you for us or against us? And the man says, no, you, I'm from a whole different place. <laughs> you're asking the wrong question, Joshua. You're starting with the posture of warfare when you should be starting with the posture of worship. And we see he responds. He says, neither he replied. I have now come as the commander of the Lord's army. Then Joshua fell face down in reverence and asked him this question. And I would propose to you today that we need to ask this question over and over and over this year. What does my Lord have to say to his servant? It's a great question. It's a great way to, to say, okay, God, what are you really saying? The commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place where you were standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Long story short, the Lord gave Joshua a strategy, a supernatural strategy to take the city of Jericho. And I believe that this time that we are entering into is going to need nothing less than a supernatural move of God in our life and in our land. Are you tracking with me? I believe that God wants us to expand our territory, that there are more people that need to know Jesus. God wants to expand, expand, uh, extend our tent pegs um, in our city, locally and abroad. God wants to expand our reach. God wants, to, God wants us to take more soil this year. Just like Joshua was like, okay, but it's going to be supernatural. It's going to be like Joshua would have never come up with, let's march around the city, blow trumpets, and the walls are going to fall. 
It would have seemed so ridiculous. But it was a supernatural move of God. And that is what we need. We need a supernatural move of God in our land. So they conquer Jericho. Amazing. Then they move on to the next city, the city of Ai or Ai. And and they just, there's confidence. God, you're with us. We're going to go in. We're going to take the city. Like we're in it. And so they go in and they think the Lord's with them, but he's not. How many of you guys know that's a scary place? 36 men died. The Israelites retreat in fear. And Joshua was like, falls on his face, was like, God, what, what happened? Like, we're just doing what you called us to do. We're doing what you said. Well, what happened was sin entered into the camp. And they discovered that it was a man by the name of Achan. See, when they left Jericho, the Lord told him very clearly, don't take any of the spoils for yourself. Like, all the treasury and all that stuff belongs to the Lord. Like, those things are to be devoted to him. But Achan was like, man, Achan was, had an Achan to get some of that treasure. Are you with me? And, and so what happened, he took some. And it says, the Lord said to Joshua, stand up. I love when the Lord just says this. Why are, you on the, why are you on the ground, Josh? Stand up. For Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things, and they've stolen and have lied. They've put them with their own possessions. Can I tell you, if we do not have a devoted heart, we will desecrate devoted things. Devoted things like our bodies, our minds, the calling that God has called us to steward. And so, and so, so what happened? So it goes on. It says, Achan replied, it's true. I've sinned. I've sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I've done. When I saw the plunder, how beautiful the robe. Look how he describes it. Like he was not intrigued, right? The beautiful robe from Babylonia, the 200 shekels of silver and the bar of gold weighing 50 shekels. I coveted them and I took them. They are hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. And so the sin was hidden in his tent. And one of the things that I felt like the Lord was saying, listen, what profits if we gain all the soil and lose our soul? Like, like what God wants to do is supernatural. Uh, but, but it's not just about getting the soil. It's about our soul being healthy on the journey. Right? And so, so what I would say, listen, when there's sin in the tent, what is that a great picture of? It starts at home. The mission of our church starts at home. You know, we always say this, parenting starts at home, right? Uh, It's true. And when we are living in a habitual life of sin, can I just, I promise you this, you are not just hurting yourself, but you are impacting others around you. And so, so I'm not saying that we don't struggle. I'm not saying that we don't fall and make mistakes. Come on, let's, let's be honest. You know what I'm saying. If we're living a habitual lifestyle that is in rebellion to God, we know it. Like, man, that hurts not only your, your soul, but it, it begins to have an effect on everybody else. And so, so it starts at home because here's the deal. If not, we're going to go out this year and we're going to think like the Lord is with us. And then we find out like, oh, man, I, we kind of missed it. And I'm not saying that God departs from us when we're struggling with sin, but, but you get the picture of to say, man, there, there is a disconnection that happens. And so what it, what it looks like here, I think a lot of times in, in church, it's a manufacturing of energy because there's a wind of heaven to your back. And so you start to strive. You start to try to you know, push through and wrestle through all of the madness, but there's no wind. There's no breath. 
And I just want to, I want to let you know, listen, my job as your pastor is to spur you on. My job is to, uh, to encourage you. My job is to, to inspire you. But listen, I, I'm responsible to you, but I'm not responsible for you. And it starts at home. And I want there to be wind behind your sail this year. Sin will take out that wind. So if there's any sin in the camp at home, just deal with it. He is faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sin and cleanse us of all unrighteousness if we simply confess them to him. Are you, are you with me on that? And so, so we need God to do something supernatural in our soil. Like, like the world right now and what God has called us to as a church, as you're talking to people on your job at school, listen, we need God to do something supernatural. Not, not necessarily weird, but supernatural. Are you tracking with me on that? But not just in the, the soil, but in our soul. Because what profits a man if he gains all the soil and loses his soul? Like, it's not just about mission. Like, all right, we're going to see people get saved. We're going to see, like, yes, we are. But I, listen, God has called us to make disciples. That seeing people come to know Jesus and expanding on mission and outreach, that should be an overflow from what's happening on the inside of our soul. And so as we enter into this next season, I believe it's going to require a deadly devotion. Aren't you so glad you came to church today? Let's go. A deadly devotion. Like, can I just tell you, following Jesus in the days ahead is going to cost you. It's going to, it's, and it may have already costed you. Um, to live a gospel-centered life, Paul told Timothy, he says, listen, he who desires to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Like, that's just the reality. I don't think what we're experiencing here is yet persecution when you look at what's happening across the globe, but things are definitely changing in our culture. But when I think about costing, I think about the woman that uh, in Iran where her father's friend would rape her all the time. And then when her father died, the man has the nerve to show up at his funeral and the Holy Spirit says, I want you to forgive him. I've given you a grace for that. How many of you guys know that's a, that's a cost? That's a price. Every time there's forgiveness, somebody suffers. But a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit says, no, it's a, it's a deadly devotion. I think about a girl who, whose father told her to renounce Christ or to sit on a carpet in her room, legs crossed. She sat so long. Her brother would come and give her food so long that her, her legs are permanently lame. A young teenage girl because she refused to renounce Jesus. I think about the missionaries. Uh, by the grace of God, we have a family in our church, and, and we were able to uh, be a part of, of praying and sending out a dear member of our church. She's in Afghanistan right now. I can't give any details just for safety reasons, but, but I just think about the heart. I, I was sitting down with her and her husband, and this made such a huge impact on Jackie and I. They were sitting, and they said very sincerely, Pastor Matt, we, we, we hope that that God will let us die on the field. And it was almost like, say that one more time? It's like, yeah, we, we don't want to die of old age. Like, who wants to do that? Like, we... But then they, they said something else. They said, but God doesn't give everybody that grace. And I'm like, you get it. It's, it's a deadly devotion. It's like Jesus telling Peter, hey, Peter, you follow me, they're going to kill you. And what does Peter say? What about John? <laughs> what are they going to do to John? And Jesus is like, no, 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 you, you follow me. But because there was such revelation of the resurrected Savior, there was vision to go 
and live a life of deadly devotion. Jesus said it this way. He said, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed. And on the third day, raised to life. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for my sake will save it. And this is so poetic. Most of us, if you've been in church, like you know this passage, we quote it. But this is reality. You know, I think sometimes we, we think about getting back to normal. Our world has dramatically changed, guys. That, that, I mean, there's some things that are going to obviously go back, but things are changing very rapidly in our world today. And I just want to make sure that our church is equipped, that we're not moved by every wind of doctrine, the cultural pressures that we're able to stay faithful to Christ in the midst of no matter what takes place, no matter what happens. So when we, this is reality. And one way we're getting back to normal because the church throughout history has always been marginalized and persecuted. What we've experienced in the United States is a little bit of, of an anomaly compared to the rest of history. So it's not like anything new is happening. No, 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 this is, this is really par for the course. When you look, and across all these other countries, man, you can see it's been par for the course. Suffering for the sake of the gospel, it's just, it's part of the deal. It's a deadly devotion. And so, so as we see in our culture, things are being passed. New laws are being passed on a regular basis so that me as your pastor, I'm not able to teach the Bible without it, it being um, something hateful for preaching the scripture. And can I tell you, I'm not, I'm not moved by that, to be honest with you. I don't, I, I don't want that to happen, but I'm not like, oh my goodness. I, it, no, this is, this is, again, he who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Cultural opinion toward Christianity, it's getting more and more hostile. And I'm not trying to be a bear of bad news. I told you there's a lot of beautiful things happening. There's also a lot of brutal things happening. And it's just reality. And standing for, for, for Jesus is not going to be the most popular, but I'm reminded of Daniel when it was told that you cannot bow or worship anybody except the king. And when the law was passed and the law had been signed, Daniel went home, knelt down as usual upstairs room, opened up the windows toward Jerusalem, and he prayed three times a day, just as he had always done giving thanks to God. Even though the lion's den was the consequence, it was a, a, a deadly devotion happy, but it was a part of his rhythm. It was a part of what he did. It was a part of his life. It, it wasn't this, this major thing like, okay, a new law had been signed. Okay, well, I'm going to continue to give my devotion where it needs to be. Now, I'm not saying we dishonor laws or anything like that unless it violates our devotion to God. Then you have to make a decision. Are you guys tracking with me on this? I, I got to spend uh, some time recently uh, with uh, a Korean um, a missionary to Pakistan and just as he's talking, it's just so sobering. He's like, yeah, part of our team, one guy was martyred in December 2020. Yeah, another one of our team, they, they were just imprisoned. It's just it's normal life. You know, in Pakistan, to be a Christian, it's, it's capital punishment or life in prison. If you get talked, if you get caught propagating the gospel. And you could just see, but so, so he was explaining like what happened to the church. He said, yeah, about 60% of them left because they're afraid. And about 40% remained. Wow. I'm just like, what in the world? 
C.S. Lewis says it this way. He says, give me all of you. I don't want so much of your time or so much of your talents and money and so much of your work. I want you, all of you. I have not come to torment or frustrate the natural man or woman, but to kill it. No half measures will do. I don't want to only prune a branch here and prune a branch there. Rather, I want the whole tree out. Hand it over to me, the whole outfit, all of your desires, all of your wants, all of your wishes and dreams. Turn them all over to me. Give me yourself and I will make you, uh, I will make of you a new self in my image. Give me yourself in exchange. I will give you myself. My will shall become your will. My heart shall become your heart. It's a deadly devotion. Can I just say, you know, you know where, where this is from? This is from his book, Mere Christianity. Like, this is real Christianity. This is, like, of course. Of course this is what it is. Like, we are following Jesus. We see that all throughout the scriptures. It, it bears witness. I think sometimes a lot of the Christianity that we've experienced is lacking some of this reality of dying to ourselves. I love what he says here. He says, as long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you're looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. And so, so what does a deadly devotion look like? What does a dying to yourself look like? I believe it looks like Galatians chapter five, fruit of the spirit. Looks like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. It doesn't look like arrogance. It doesn't look like, you know, um, all right, like we're doing, taking the stand. It's like, no, no. Remember Peter? They came to take Jesus away. Peter drew the sword, chopped off the dude's ear, and Jesus was like, what are you doing, bro? <laughs> so the guy's like bleeding, and Jesus comes over and heals him. Like, sorry, man, my guy, he's still learning. <laughs> like, I'm going to the cross, Pete. But it's so much different. And then when Peter was captured before, he's sleeping like a, after the resurrection, he's sleeping like a baby in prison. Maybe this is time, maybe it's not. My eyes have seen the Lord. He is risen. And so I, I, I want to encourage you, dying to ourselves looks like fruit of the spirit. How do you know if you're dying to yourself? Are you bearing much fruit? Are you becoming less? And is he becoming more? So what does this mean? Territory, what does this mean to take territory in soil and soul? Well, can I just tell you, this year, our vision, is, it's not gimmicky, and it's, it's not flashy. I believe God is reforming some things on the inside of us. And so what it's going to look like is this, number one, spiritual disciplines. We're going we're gonna, to, as a church, walk through a few of these a year. We're not going to hit all of these. This is from Dallas Willard, Spirit of the Disciplines. It's a great book. Uh, you should check it out. But disciplines of engagement, disciplines of abstinence. Now, before you get all weird, like, I'm not talking legalism. Legalism is a motivation of the heart, that you think you're justified by what you do rather than what Christ has done. That's not what we're talking here. Nobody would wake up this morning and say, hey, I have a horrible discipline of going to the gym every day. Discipline is so bad for you. But also when it comes to church, it's like, oh, disciplines, here we go. No, no, I'm saying I, I, I want the Lord to, I want you to grow spiritually this year. I want God to form you in a way that you're never the same. And there's some rhythms that God wants to create on the inside of our hearts. So you can see here from studying of the scripture, we want you to have a, 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 a good biblical understanding. We want there to be biblical literacy in our church. So many people are falling away because they don't know the Bible. So many Christians are following away. Worship, celebration, service, prayer, fellowship, confession, submission, and then disciplines of abstinence, solitude. Listen, when the world is going crazy, we should be a lot more calm. 
We are a countercultural. Like we, like, like, like we are in the culture, but we're not of it. So when, when everybody's losing their mind, there should be a peace to us. Not a chaos and a chaotic silence. Fasting, obviously fasting and prayer has been a rhythm of our church since the beginning of this year. Chastity, secrecy, sacrifice. So we're not going to do all these this year, but we're going to practice as a church to say, hey, we're going to teach on it. We're going to talk about it in our small groups. Like we're moving together as one to allow God to form us. Look what Dallas Willard says. He says, multitudes are now turning to Christ in all parts of the world. How unbearably tragic it would be though if millions, uh, though, to be if the millions of Asia, South America, and Africa were led to believe that the best we can hope for from the way of Christ is the level of Christianity visible in Europe and America today, a level that has left us tottering on the edge of world destruction. The world can no longer be left to mere diplomats, politicians, and business leaders. They have done their best that they could, but no doubt. But this is an age for spiritual heroes, a time for men and women to be heroic in their faith and in spiritual character and power. The greatest danger to the Christian church today is that of pitching its message too low. Like We can't water down the scripture. Throughout the ages, you want to know what is held firm is not new waves, new sects, and new trends. It's been orthodoxy, solid theology, spirit-filled, moving into the world and being consistent, walking and following Jesus no matter what the cost. Second thing is this. So spiritual disciplines, number one. Second thing is outreach. Really have a burden. So many people are hurting. We, our, our outreach has is, is, is got to go to new heights this year. Um, our outreach also consists of a little inreach because we still have people in our church that are disconnected that we're, we're really reaching out to and trying to rehabilitate people back into community. Um, but we're talking, we're talking outreach. We're talking personal evangelism. We want you to go into your areas of influence with great authority. Like God has called you as a follower of Jesus to make disciples. Not like just, you know, Pastor Matt or our pastoral staff or you know, no, God has called us as a church. God has called me to equip you to go into the world and make disciples. What does that even look like? We want to help you understand what that looks like this year um, so that you can go into the place that God has called you so you can experience God use you supernaturally as you see God through the power of the Holy Spirit transforming people's lives through your life. Uh, we're going to continue to plant churches in our nation. Uh, the missions that God has put on the inside of us to the globe is for the 1040 window. Uh, majority are, are uh, Muslim Arab nations, the most unchurched regions in the world. We're going to be partnering with some organizations. So if you have a heart to really go on mission, like we want to train you, equip you, and send you. This is going to be a year of going not just locally, nationally, but to the ends of the earth. And, uh, and, and so I was talking with some of the, uh, the people in our church that, that are part of this, this organization that, that we're, we're looking at partnering with, and it's like, hey, the accommodations are there. It's not five-star, so you're not like going on a vacation mission trip. Like, no, you're going into the trenches. And, uh, and so if you have a heart for that God, I believe God is going to speak to some of your hearts to go, to go to the world. Uh, this is a picture of a, of a Christian in uh, Pakistan. Uh, one of the, the, the Korean missionaries to Pakistan was explaining that in Pakistan, the classism of, of Christians is the lowest of the lowest. So they're at, at the bottom. The average income is about $80 a month. And whenever there's a clog in the sewer, they put ads in, the, in like the papers to say, hey, it, uh, we need a Christian to help us unplug the garbage from the sewer. And I want you to get this picture. Even though the average income is $80 a month, an average mission trip there costs, an average mission trip for them to go to the nations costs $1,000. 
And they're sending people to the nations on incomes of $80 a month. And God is moving supernaturally. And the, the responses that are coming back, I mean, it's just, just as you look and get a global perspective of the church, it really puts things in perspective. And so we're asking this question this year, if our church didn't exist, would the world care? Would the world care? And then the last thing, we've we got to think like a missionary this year. The uh, last thing is training. We're going to be training in these four key areas, theology, freedom, leadership, and relationship. Uh, we're still partnered with NCBC as our Bible college for those that want a little bit more of a robust educational training, small groups, still sermon-based, diving into the text. But we're going to take our small group breaks and use them for pure equipping in these four areas. And so, you know, theology, freedom, spiritual warfare, how do we navigate this time, leadership, and then relationship, even just how do I, how do I pastor my kids in the 21st century? How do I have critical conversations? Like, what do I do here? What do I do with this topic that everybody's talking about except the church? We gotta wrestle through that stuff this year because we want to prepare you, we want you to be equipped. Uh, Paul told Timothy, 2 Timothy 4, 3, for there will be a time where people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them with great numbers of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. I've always, as your pastor, have made a commitment to be faithful to the scripture, to not water anything down, to preach it in its fullness. And can I just tell you, there, there's... We want to be people of sound doctrine because anything outside of that is not going to be able to stand the lies, the deception, all the winds of doctrine, the pressures. We really need a move of God's spirit in our soul. And so that's why it's not just about taking soil, it's about our soul, that we be equipped for every good work. So what am I saying? We're going to connect the dots this year. Disciplines, outreach, training. Soil plus soul equals territory. Let me pray for you. Father, in Jesus' name, I know there's a lot to take in, and we're gonna be processing this all throughout this, this year. But God, you're taking us on a journey. You're, you're forming us. You're shaping us more and more into the image of your son. So Lord, as we go today, Lord, I pray that you would stir us toward a deadly devotion. I know it sounds intense, and it is. And Lord, I just pray that our posture would be that of Joshua. Lord, what would you want to say to your servant? Here I am. What would you send me this year? Lord, and I pray that you'd help us to effectively equip. Lord, effectively train. And it's not just about teaching. It's about doing life together. Lord, as a church community, building, sharpening, encouraging one another on this journey, tightly knitted, unified, no division so that the world can look and we can be the example of what the church and what life, the way you design could really look like. So I pray that you would destroy, Lord, any, any divisions in our church, any fractions, any way the enemy would try to creep in. Subtly, I pray against the spirit of Jezebel. I pray, God, against lies, deception, and gossip. I pray, Lord, against the immaturities that sometimes would be made manifest as a result of Aiken's personal gain. Lord, I pray, God, that you would eradicate those things, that we would be a beacon, a light, a city on a hill, where the people would look and it would be a place of refuge 
healing, restoration, freedom. For it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. In Jesus' name. Thanks again for joining us here at Fountain Church. For more details on how to get connected, visit us at fountainchurch.cc. We're also on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. We'll see you next time.